0: Welcome to Innovation Files. I'm Rob Atkinson, founder and president of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. We're a DC-based think tank that works on technology policy.
1: And I'm Jackie Wisman. I handle outreach at ITIF, which I'm proud to say is the world's top-ranked think tank for science and technology policy.
0: This podcast is about the kinds of issues we cover at ITIF, from the broad economics of innovation to specific policy and regulatory questions about new technologies. And today, we're going to talk about APIs. I know everybody knows what APIs are. Actually, in this case, application programming interfaces. And I know it sounds really technical and boring. Trust me, it's not. It's like one of the coolest, most important Internet technologies around. Um, and uh, it's going to really affect, is affecting our lives and continue to affect our lives. So we're really excited to talk today about it.
1: Our guest is Rob Dickinson, who's co-founder and CEO at Resurface Labs, a platform helping tech companies observe and log API activity. Rob's work around observability, cybersecurity, and the Internet of Things has set him out as a thought leader in this part of the tech world. The mission of his work is to realize a future where all APIs can be easily and responsibly monitored to power data science, customer support, auditing and compliance, and production debugging. You're busy, Rob. Welcome.
2: (laughs) Very busy, but not too busy to be here. Thanks so much for having
1: me. We're happy you're here because um, I think we should start small for you. um, Jackie,
0: I just got to say, I think this is going to be a confusing thing because when you say Rob, I'm not sure which one of us should (laughs) say something.
1: I'm only going to be talking to Rob Dickinson during this session. Good. I will ignore you. Perfect. But I do think we should start by defining the term at the center of the Internet of Things, which is an API. This isn't a term a lot of us are familiar with, other than you and my co-host uh, in this session, but uh, it probably should be. So could you define it for us?
2: Absolutely. And, and unfortunately, the, the, the Wikipedia definition, you know, literally repeating what those letters stand for, Application Programming Interface, does that help? No. <laughs> um, not really, right? Um, what, what we really mean by that, and, and one of the things you'll hear me do on this talk uh, multiple times, hopefully, is we'll try to make some analogies to things in the, in the real world, in the physical world, to kind of understand what, what the analogs are. So when I think about an API, I think about an API as being a phone call between two programs or between two applications across the Internet. The same way two people would have carried out a conversation over the phone, um, over you know a, a physical carrier network. We're basically doing the same thing. And what does that mean from a macro perspective, though? It means from a macro perspective, we're, we're moving from a world of telephony where we used to use voice and facts to interact with each other. And it was mostly human to human interaction to... A Internet that was originally built as an entertainment vehicle to now an Internet that's being rebuilt as a way for computers and autonomous systems as, as well as humans to interact with each other in a very point-to-point kind of conversational way. So the, the takeaway there is, is APIs really don't have to be mysterious. An API call is really like a phone call in a lot of ways it's there's a there's a conversation that's going on between those two parties and the the term api is really just referring to that conversation
0: so it's it's to use to continue with the analogy to the physical world rob it would be kind of like i call you up but you don't know who i am so i have to authenticate myself with you and say no it really is it's rob atkinson i'm not faking this here and then i would say oh, I have the right to get some data. Could you automatically transmit some data into my computer system? So in other words, it, it goes from your system into my system. Is that pretty much it?
2: Yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. And um, another way to say that is the, the kind of old Internet was an Internet that was built for web browsers and web servers, And the the medium of exchange there was was HTML or human readable information. And you can really see that, like even in the the, some of the recent directives from the Biden administration, that we need to move away from that model to a model where that information is accessible to programs just as just as easily as 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 it's accessible to, to human eyes. And and that's really exciting. Right. Because that that means that we're gonna see an entire generation of software agents that are able to act on our behalf online and and carry out actions for us online as as those trusted agents and be able to interact with those systems um, even though you're not actually pulling up a web browser and and doing it manually. So I think the the possibilities there are, are really fabulous.
1: And why are they so important and what else do they enable?
2: Well, what, what, why it's really important is is you think about, so again, kind of, kind of going back to an analogy in, in the real world, um, there's only so many phone calls that I can make as a human in unit time, you know, before Zoom fatigue really sets in, right? Uh, so, so part of it is just that that I can create software systems that can do that work much quicker than I can, much, much more repeatably than I can, um, can do that at, at higher scale and it, it allows me to use automation as a, as a force multiplier in in a way that that can be really really dramatic and that's that's a huge that's a huge shift in in terms of, of how we think about um, how we think about these systems the the other kind of consequence of that is you're going to see more software based systems, that carry more responsibilities and i think that's a really interesting area for policy setting you know when an autonomous car makes a mistake who's at fault (laughs) is it the manufacturer is it the, the programmer is it the network um all of those things could have contributed to that to that failure um i think i think one of the interesting things about the api economy is that we're fundamentally redrawing the lines between organizations and their suppliers and their customers and their partners um, in a way that, that we really haven't seen since since the birth of the web. I mean, it really is at, at that level in terms of the, the disruptive nature that, that's happening there. And it, it really does affect it, – it affects how we think about privacy, security, ethics – Standards of care. I mean, it, it really is. It really is a fundamental reset across a lot of these things.
0: So a lot of a lot of companies have designed, you know, they moved into the Internet world and they have intranets and really great databases. But they're still most companies. They design these systems in a proprietary way so that they can communicate within the organization, but not necessarily communicate seamlessly across organizations. And it seems like that's a big part of the, of the API revolution is to allow that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, that middleware to enable much more seamless communication from, you know, your fintech application to your, your other bank or a government database to some app you have on your phone or, or whatever that might be.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. C- couldn't agree more. So the, the early web as an entertainment vehicle was really based around the idea that I'm sharing pictures, I'm sharing videos, I'm, I am providing my data for free to a platform that takes that data, and then I'm going to share that data with other people. And maybe it's monetized out the back end for other purposes. but kind of the, the primary motivation of that was as an entertainment vehicle and sharing data with other people. But we're moving from that to the internet as an operational system, as a backbone for all of our living systems, you know, all the things that we depend on on a daily basis, not just our entertainment but for things actually working you know when aws goes down right you know it because all kinds of things break right that's that's the world that that we're operating in and in that world we're not really sharing data with humans we're we're sharing data with other systems and now it's the interconnections and the network effects between those systems exactly the way that you're that you're describing and so we've seen a lot of a lot of organizations who used to have a lot of their customer interactions through their websites. Now, their dominant customer interactions are through their APIs. And that's really great because, just like we talked about, it it provides speed and automation and kind of that force multiplier um, around the, the capabilities. But, of course, there's also a dark side of that which is you're, you're, you're vulnerable and you, you increase your risk by doing that. And now you're, uh, you're susceptible to certain kinds of mal-behaviors that, that you wouldn't have been otherwise. And unfortunately that, that comes in on, on the same coattails.
0: Yeah, and I, I, we, I don't wanna follow up on the security part, but before we get there, can you explain to our listeners, what's an open API? We talk. People talk about open API interfaces. What, what's unique about that?
2: I think from from this perspective, the it's it's the word "open" is really about the intent of how that API is going to be used. So, a lot of the folks that we talk to, they they might consider. Like, like, let's take the case where you've, you've got a mobile application that talks to a backend API. You, you might consider that API to be private. Um, that, that API might really be only for the use of your mobile applications, and you don't really want it used directly by the public, but it's there for a specific purpose, which is to power your mobile apps. And a lot of folks actually started with APIs really from that perspective. You know, we're going to have a website. And then we're going to have an API that's primarily for our mobile apps. And, and that's, a, that's still a, a domain where you have a lot of control because you, you have that concept of a genuine client or a genuine experience that you're trying to enforce. When you say open API, to me, that means now you have an API that can be called by any kind of client. And there's a, a power that comes with that flexibility. But at the same time, it's a loss of control because now you're saying I'm 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 intentionally leaving it open for new kinds of software, new kinds of clients that haven't even been invented yet to be able to come back and use this interface. That's very, very different than saying I've got a web browser and I can instrument the web browser or I've got a mobile application and I can instrument the web application. You know, I have that that that. I have some layer of control there um, over that to a, a truly API centric company, you know, API first company like a Twilio or a SendGrid, for example, where literally their customer interface is is an API. Um, at that point, you you're you're open in terms of you you don't have control over the clients, and that that really shifts the the intent of those systems.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I know one case that my colleague Daniel Castro wrote about was that there are certain fintech companies that you get on your phone or you know your device or whatever, and then as part of what they do is they interact with your other accounts, uh, and then they ag- aggregate it all into one place. But some of the accounts, some of the, the banks, for example, they don't like that. They think it takes away control, and so they won't allow an API interface, even even though they can still do it through web scraping, which isn't as good. And it seems to me that you can make an argument that that's anti-competitive. Uh, that you know, it's it's the customer's data. I'm not I'm not asking for Jackie's data. I, it's my data. I can I can get it if I just put my credentials in there. Why can't I give another party my credentials to have them get the data too? Um, anyway, thoughts on that whole question of how do how do you enable open? or I shouldn't say open. How do you enable more of an API economy?
2: You know, I I don't think there's a one size fits all solution. I think I think every organization as they as they go on this journey. It, it's an opportunity to kind of redraw those boundaries and and figure out like what, what that new normal looks like. And and we certainly see both both patterns. And I think there's a whole there's a whole continuum, right? We we see folks that are very progressive and, and running at this full speed um we see other folks that are taking uh, a more uh, a more conservative approach more of a wait-and-see approach let's see how this really shakes out you know let's let's let our competitors fall down on this stuff a couple times um for example if i was if i was doing a fitness company right now i'd be looking very closely at peloton and and asking myself you know, as a non-technology company, as a fitness technology, how much should we be exposing our brand to those kinds of issues if we're not really going to be masters in that domain? Um, these are these are hard issues to to sort through, and and I and I think I think anybody would be would be wise to to take a very measured, thoughtful uh, approach because I, I you know as someone who works in the industry. For example, when I hear about the Biden administration and say, let's let's make all of our healthcare care data available online. Part of me is like, oh, yes. Yay. Let's do that. Finally, let's move forward. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, crap. Like, well, what happens when literally all the health data about every American leaks? Like that's going to happen. Right. Um, and how do we how do we prepare for that? So, you know, the, the history of technology is is. The history of the combination of enthusiastic overbearance and unintended consequences. So,
1: I uh, I was going to say, ITIF would suggest we prepare for it without um, too much overbearing regulation.
0: Uh, To your point, Rob, that's that's a really good one eh? because that that really, I think, hits everybody right at home. Where you know, you think about where all your health data is, and it's in a fifty different systems. Half of them even aren't even on computer. They're on still on you know paper and folders. I would love to be able to get all of my health data through APIs into some master app that you know Google sells me or Apple or Microsoft or a startup company. I don't care. And it seems like APIs are really the way that could happen. I guess on the security part, it seems in some ways it's more more of akin to you put all your money into a vault and you lose it all, or you can put it in fifty piggy banks and you can lose some of it because there's still risk of, of data if it's in these other systems. I guess it's not putting it in an API thing doesn't maybe change the risk. Maybe changes the value, but maybe not the risk. Is that how you'd look at it? Because somebody somebody could hack. I I, I get my blood work done at I don't know what you know one of those labs or whatever, and and it's it's nice now because they actually give you your record online, which is nice. So if somebody wanted to they could hack in there maybe if they if they're lucky they could find my blood results which you know I really don't care but if I put it all into one API they could do the same thing too.
2: Well, I think you know, I think you're, you're you're absolutely right and and I think there's 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 two things there that that I worry about. I I worry about what we see as threats, what we see as as hacks, what we see as breaches that's a moving target. Those those attacks are becoming more sophisticated over time, more novel over time. There's there's new categories of attacks that that we're seeing this year that, that have really never been seen before. And so there there's a the goalposts there are are moving, I think, I think very quickly in terms of thinking about how to actually secure these systems. The, the other thing from a policy perspective that makes me nervous is always that the, the lifetime of that data, this this data tends to live longer even than the organizations that created them. So who owns that, that company in the future, who owns that data set in the future is actually something that I think we have to keep a very careful eye on because there's a, there's a lot of markets that originally were, you know, hundreds of different providers that then consolidated down to just a few, and I think we're going to see that here as well. Um, and and so the 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 consolidation of that data over time through acquisition, I think even even if we don't see those actors exactly formed that way, you know, that's that's it won't be that way forever. That that too is also a moving target.
1: And as government agencies start to deploy more and more APIs, how should they measure quality, performance, and security?
2: The most important part of that is to actually have, actually pay attention to it, and actually do the measurement piece. To actually have metrics, um, this is something that we've said in, in DevOps for a long time. Um, you know, the the most dangerous thing is not knowing. So, so generally, you know, step one is let's make sure we have monitoring plans in place. Let's make sure we have those systems in place. Let's make sure that we actually have an empirical approach. That we actually know what those numbers look like. Um, if I could tell a quick story, I had the opportunity to meet um, some, of the, some of the folks that worked on the Obama campaign. And when they, when they joined the Obama campaign originally, the, the website was not in great shape at all. And part of the reason for that was they literally had no monitoring on, They like they knew the performance was bad, but they didn't know like how bad it was. And they couldn't really tell when they made an optimization if it made much of a difference. So that was really the first thing they put in place was we need to really understand where this thing is working, when it's failing, how long it's taking and and get those KPIs established. And then we can actually work on improving them. It, it's not rocket science, right? But the but I think a lot of the, the the biggest mistake to make is just not paying attention to the need, and just assuming that things are working, um, and 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 kind of uh, underappreciating the the risk of that.
0: Yeah, we do a report. We've done it a couple of times where we measure uh, federal website and state website performance on things like page load speed and. Uh, uh, security, and accessibility, and it's striking how, well, maybe it's not striking that the government sites are not as good as the best-in-class private sector sites, but what's striking is how when we did it one year and then we did it like 18 months later, there was almost no change. Uh, uh, you'd think that that performance, now obviously it was you know, an outside group doing it, but to your point, if you can't measure it, you're not going to be able to fix it. Absolutely.
1: What are the biggest maybe one or two applications that consumers might benefit from? We're gonna end on a positive note.
2: In in terms of the in terms of the API economy? Yeah. I think one one example that's that's very dear to, to my heart um, it would be something like the, the Colorado Telemetry Project, if I can give them give them a shout out. Um, so so let's say that we have this health data available to us, and, and let's say that, that we can then aggregate that health data, make that health data available to intelligence systems and to researchers. One of the things that that lets us do is it lets us look for patterns in that data that are otherwise very, very difficult to, to find. And I'm not a physician, <laughs> like, obviously. I'm a technologist. Um, But let's take ovarian cancer as a very specific case here. Um, By the time that ovarian cancer is detected, it's usually very late stage. And that's why there's such a high mortality rate associated with that. Um, If we had the ability to correlate and aggregate telemetry data across a large enough group of people, we could start to uncover what are the leading indicators associated with that so think about you you ultimately you do identify cancer but and then you can back test that against the, all the blood work that you have all the other telemetry that you have ideally going back a decade or two that's going to unlock ways of identifying precursors and now we're not just talking about improving quality of life but we literally are talking about saving lives um that's that's I think a an amazing future to think about that kind of data sharing and that kind of telemetry as a foundation for new kinds of medicine as as well as new kinds of business interactions and commercial vehicles. Um, there there really are some, I think, very, very far-reaching implications here for providing this data. If, if we can balance these things properly, if we can properly balance the needs for privacy and the needs for security around kind of the promise of of aggregation and, and intelligent inspection that that goes with that. Um, I think that's going to be really amazing to see how that, how that shakes out.
0: Rob, you're preaching to the converter. This is something we've been pushing for years and years and years. It's sort of a, it's a pet passion of mine. It just drives me crazy that we're not doing that faster because As you rightly point out, every year we delay it results in in you know certainly human suffering and and death. Um, you know, I like kind of use the word, I like to use the phrase. You know, we we live we live in a stupid world that could be intelligent. And by that, I'm not talking about people's intelligence. I'm talking about just what we know. There's so much out there that we could know. But we don't bother to collect it the right way and analyze it the right way, and api's to me are like the the engine it's, it's almost like the industrial world the steam engine api's can play that pretty pretty critical role absolutely couldn't agree more Rob thank you so much for being really, really interesting and i I know that you know as I said at the beginning, it can seem kind of a little bit of an esoteric technical topic, but it's it's almost like saying, it's almost like having a having a discussion like this in 1994, well, what's this internet thing all about? Uh, it turns out it's really, really big. And so I think APIs are in that ballpark, if you will, and hopefully will lead to have us having a much better life for everybody in the world. That's my hope too.
2: Thanks so much for having me, giving me this chance.
1: And that's it for this week. If you liked it, please be sure to rate us and subscribe. Feel free to email show ideas or questions to podcast at itif.org. You can find the show notes and sign up for our weekly email newsletter on our website, itif.org, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at ITIFDC.
0: We have more episodes and great guests lined up. New episodes drop every other Monday, so we hope you'll continue to tune in.
1: Talk to you soon.